This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. We're excited to be with Jeff Bond, who's going to talk to us about the paleo diet. He's here to answer some questions um, that are the result of our last podcast that we had with him. So we just want to dive right in. Thanks for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you and to help to develop some of the ideas I introduced in the first podcast. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a great topic. And I mean, you and I, I could talk to you about this for (laughs) hours, I'm sure. Um, We're going to try to keep this one a little bit short, but obviously we've gotten quite a few questions from folks. um, And so it's definitely something that's, I think, front of mind for our listeners. So I'm really excited to kind of get to parse through these questions with you. And I'm sure... I'm sure we'll have more questions in the future, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. So the first question I think is maybe pretty straightforward. I don't know, but um, you mentioned uh, the last time you were here about um, poultry and what is maybe good choices for poultry. And then we had some conversation about also um, egg choices and you talked about um, choosing pasture raised chickens and getting eggs from pasture raised chickens. And so here in the States, you know, we have, if you've, if you've ever been to the egg aisle, it's a little overwhelming right now because it's like you have free range and they're organic and they're antibiotic free and they're cage free and whatever. So I'm, I guess I'm curious as to sort of maybe what the translation or what should we really be looking for if we wanted a pasture raised chicken egg and and can you find those in the store? Yeah. If we're talking about eggs, as you say, there's a huge multiplicity of choices uh, or of options, I should say. And how do you choose? And um, I mean, I, I sort of try to go back to the forager template. Right. What were they doing? Yes, they were eating eggs. They were eating all kinds of birds' eggs of various kinds. Uh, and these birds were, of course, living in a state of nature and their eggs had a particular nutritional profile that was adapted to their particular kind of, uh, to their particular species. Um, and human beings were absorbing the kind of nutrients that were in these eggs, you know, they might be ostrich eggs, they might be busted eggs, flamingo eggs, various kinds of geese and so forth. Um, when we compare that to the average industrially produced chicken's egg, um, there are some similarities and some great differences. And the main differences are to do with the fatty acid profile that's in the eggs. Uh, And one of the things that um, industrially produced eggs are terribly short of are the famous omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, And when these are compared, for example, with uh, farm, just chickens that are raised on a farmyard that have been running around a a peasant's farmyard, Mm -hmm. uh, they find that this is the biggest difference of the lot. Sure, there's differences in the various nutrients that are in there. But these chickens are running around a farmyard. They're eating the little bugs. They're eating the various kinds of uh, purslane and various other plants and they're digging up stuff. Um, they're eating a very varied diet. Mm-hmm. Whereas the industrially produced eggs, the chickens just don't have that kind of diet. They're just produced for mass quantity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and, you get, and often they're, of course, they're fed dyes and things so that the yolk comes out yellow and all this kind of thing. Mm, yeah. So the first stage is to say, right, I don't want anything produced industrially. Um, there is a second angle that comes in from for many people and that is the ethical question how are these poor chickens raised and of course that ties in really with whether you go for pasture raised or barn raised or uh, the various other options organic and this kind of thing Um, now as you as i said before my view is that if you possibly can you go for the pasture raised eggs and cross your fingers that you're getting something that is actually similar to a farmyard egg Mm -hmm. Uh, these chickens are supposed to be running around out in the pastures 
they're, they're given various kinds of chicken feed, of course, as well as the running around getting whatever's available locally. And you cross your fingers and you hope that it's um, much more like a chicken's egg is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end of the day, though, don't get neurotic about it. It's an egg. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, and it'll be a lot better than the average egg that you find, uh, you know, in the uh, industrial produced by the um, uh, by the broiler chickens. Mm-hmm. So that is the for me, that's the first point. Is it organic? Well, um, they may or may not say they're organic. Um, uh, 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 that is a secondary order of magnitude. If it is organic and pasture fed, so much the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, I tend not to I tend to say, well, you know, Try not to worry too much about that. The main thing is it's pasture raised. The chickens have been raised ethically as, best, as far as we know. Um, and indeed, uh, the, the egg itself will have a nutritional profile that is more what our body expects to get from an egg. So that's the first point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second point is the chicken meat itself. Well, it's almost the same story, actually. Um, industrial raised chickens have, first of all, a very poor fatty acid profile and they're very fat. They never, they never get any exercise. Uh, and over the years, just in my lifetime, uh, industrially raised chickens have gone, fatty acid uh, content has gone up from something like 7 or 8% up to 25%. Mm. Um, and this is all fats we don't need. Uh, in fact, many of them are harmful. So uh, we certainly avoid the broiler chickens. And of course, many fast food restaurants, that's all they use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we we certainly go again for the free range, whatever the organic, if possible, uh, but certain, or even pasture raised, absolutely. Okay. Um, and again, cross your fingers that uh, the, the fatty acid profile is a a lot better. And anyway, they're uh, they they've got far less fat in them. Okay. So that's my that's the story on these things. And I think part of the message that comes out of this is you you do what you can with this stuff. Uh, and but don't get too over, you know, neurotic about it either. Um, you, you do what you can. And and the power and I think the purchasing power of people who would start to think the same way as we do will gradually shift the producers into producing more and more of the right kind of uh, chicken meat and uh, and chicken eggs. After all, part, I didn't, I, you know, I come to the States every year. I give a lecture tour. I'll be over in California in January and February. Uh, and I sort of check out Trader Joe's and mm-hmm. the various supermarkets and so forth. Uh, and bit by bit, you see more and more of this kind of thinking coming into the, what they supply. Um, so, yes, I think uh, I think we're moving in the right direction very slowly, just simply because there's more and more of a demand for it. Sure. Uh, sure. So that's a so that's a fairly hopeful move. And but otherwise, yes, we, we can choose wisely. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, it's sort of interesting how you, you talk about how the supply chain changes based on demand, which makes complete mm-hmm. sort of economic sense. But it's also from a consumer side can also be a little overwhelming because I think about now, same here in our area, when I go to the store, the the general mass market large grocery stores are really also making a push towards more whole foods, more and not whole foods, mm-hmm. the brand, but I mean, you know, holistic foods and um, natural foods to, and trying. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great yeah. to see for sure. So absolutely cool. So let's talk then a little bit about so sort of shifting gears. Um, one of the things also that we talked about in the last um, podcast that, that you were on is just this idea that, that you'll feel better um, when you uh, start to move towards maybe a more paleo style um, eating plan or, or eating pattern. Um, and so, you know, feeling better can mean a lot of different things. I've gone through my own journey with switching more to a paleo style and there's definitely 
I can I can use certain words like my, my head is clearer. Um, it seems like I can think better, things like that. But I'm curious from your perspective, um, if you can maybe describe some of the specific benefits that people might notice when they start to move towards a paleo diet uh, along the lines of what well, you'll feel better. Like, what does that actually manifest as? Well, yeah, you're right. You see, it, it, what does it mean? And some people it affects in different kinds of ways. Uh, you talk about uh, you, you have a sharper brain or clearer brain. Well, that for sure is one of the things that uh, that, that is likely to happen. Um, uh, you probably lose weight too. You should be losing weight. If you're overweight, you should be clearing a little bit of weight and being overweight is also a recipe for having a, a sort of more f fuzzy brain anyway mm -hmm. um you'll you know and having lost weight you'll you'll feel more active you'll be able to dash around a little more and uh, look after the kids a bit better and this kind of thing um one of the things that uh, well one one other thing that tends to happen is you sleep better mm. when you sleep better goodness yeah. me your mental health changes and sure. you feel a lot better and not only does your mental health change, but it, it's, it's also a big factor in all kinds of other health questions uh, to do with diabetes, to do with depression, to do with all kinds of other things, too. So you sleep better. And um, I, I think one of the other things is that you've, when you start eating and living the paleo way, because it's not just about what you eat, um, you, you're actually living the way your body recognizes. So it actually starts to function better in all kinds of ways. So all kinds of little ailments that you had start to disappear. For example, my, um, I met my wife, uh, well, current wife, 25 years mm -hmm. ago when she was in her 50s. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she had all sorts of little ailments, aches and pains. She, they wanted to replace her knees because there was oh. problems with her joints. Mm -hmm. uh, she had uh, she had allergies in her eyes, and she had, like felt like sand in her eyes, and all this kind of thing. Well, after she met me, and after a lot of struggle, uh, <laughs> yeah. adapting herself to my way of thinking yeah. um, uh, and, and lifestyle, bit by bit, all these things disappeared. So yeah, of course she feels a lot better. Yeah. Uh, she feels terrific and she's fully active. You know, and, and now she's far more, she's springing around, running around like a spring hare uh, <laughs> in a far better way than she was 25 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, you know, she, so, so yes, this is the kind of thing and it's very difficult to, to pinpoint, you know, each person will probably react a bit differently because they'll all have in some kind of way, their bodies will have um, perhaps caved in in different ways to the way they've been living. And bit by bit, that uh, that will get repaired. Yeah. And so they'll feel better for, for that particular in item. So in my wife's case, it was particularly her joints that uh, suddenly, <laughs> instead of being inflamed, were all working and functioning properly. Uh, and in particular, the allergies disappeared, yeah. which is quite surprising, actually, because they're very difficult to get rid of. Yeah, absolutely. So it's oftentimes difficult for people to take the advice of a physician and make changes like to their diet and things like that. I find that it can be maybe more difficult to take that advice from a spouse or a person that you love. I'm, I'm just personally curious, how long does it take for your, for your now wife to decide that your way might actually be the way to, to the path to health? Well, put it this way, uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she, she's, um, she's basically French uh, and was very much into French cooking. Mm, uh, butter. <laughs> uh, well, she was the south of France, so it's more oh. the Mediterranean sort. Okay. So was, she was halfway there, but, uh, but even so, yes, you're right, there was butter, there was cheese and there was things like that. Yeah. Uh, and there was goose fat and uh, uh, all that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all these things. Um, 
but she but she wanted she was looking for something you know she knew she just desperately didn't want to start to get decrepit in right. old age right um and this was her great fear uh, she had two fears. First of all, just being decrepit, like she'd seen all her previous, uh, you know, uh, her parents and grandparents and things get in, in old age. And secondly, she had a terrible fear of cancer because her, her all her relatives, mother, father, uncles, aunts, they'd all died of cancers of various kinds. Mm. And, uh, and so when I said to her, well, actually, cancer is an optional disease, you know, it's basically a lifestyle disease. Mm -hmm. She said, right, tell me about it. Mm. Um, and, and so we went through all this stuff. Um, uh, going, and, but she she wanted to go cold turkey, but there were some things she found very difficult, like getting rid of the bread and this kind of thing. Sure. So we went. Uh, well, I suppose it was about a year where she was fairly strict, but there was still the bread and stuff like that. It was a few bits and pieces in there that she she still couldn't avoid the camembert cheese from time <laughs> to time. Right. Um, and I said, you know, and she, but she still had everything was going except the eye allergy. And I said, you, you're just going to have to go cold turkey on everything. You know, you just can't afford to have these allergens in you. You know, particularly from the bread, the gluten, and the other things that are in bread, and um, and also from the dairy with all its allergens as well. Uh, you're just going to have to cut those out as well and see how you go. Try it for a month. She tried it for a month, and lo and behold, it uh, the allergies <laughs> disappeared. So, so that's the way she's been ever since. Yeah, and. She's like my canary in the coal mine. You know, <laughs> she, she she she's sensitive to the slightest yeah. departure from the from the from the rigid path. Yeah. Um, you know, she she makes she says, oh, you know, she might be out for a meal with somebody or whatever, uh, and she said, oh, I just you know just please the cook and I'll eat their you know, whatever their uh, uh, you know is their particular bread, and uh, and then she suffers the next day. Sure. Uh, it takes another three or four days for it to wear off, and uh, she she just knows that this is. She's just got to stay like that if she's going to keep her health. Now, she's a particular mentality. She's half German, uh, sort of disciplined yeah. and, um, uh, uh, and in her own way, and, uh, and she just sticks to it because that's the way she wants to be. Yeah. I, you know, I can understand. I've seen all kinds of different sorts of personalities uh, involved, and for many people it does take a wake-up call. It, it needs the, can the diagnosis of cancer or of heart disease, you know, triple, oh, sorry, Squire, you're going to need a triple bypass. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and you'll be back again in five years' time unless you change something. Yeah. This is where they, you know, I, I come in and say, well, actually, we can show you how you can avoid having to go back again. You know, you, you've got the triple bypass, so you can't avoid that. To the poor woman who's going to have her breast chopped off, well, you know, that's probably all you can do. But at least you're not going to come back with some meta metastases uh, elsewhere in the body mm -hmm. um so uh, so yeah this is where people sometimes have this wake-up call and then they go cold turkey yeah uh, and uh, that's fine and other people just say ah oh, you know i just put my hands i just trust my physicians and well the things take their course that we know about you know yeah. this is the tragedy of it you know we've seen so many people who just just hope that it'll work out for the best, but it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, your wife is a lot like my husband. And if we have a little time towards the end, I had a question relative to kind of his journey as well. He's very disciplined, uh -huh. but also is one of those types of folks that cannot stray uh, very far at all without seeing uh, some pretty adverse effects. For him, it's it it's typically weight gain, but um, some of the uh -huh. things that you described. But kind of before we get there, um, I wanted to touch on uh, another diet comparison. So again, in the last podcast, um, you looked at with us sort of Mediterranean versus paleo and Atkins versus paleo. Um, and one of the things that one of the other sort of diet approaches that at least I've heard a lot about in the in the recent past 
and it may be because I now hang out with CrossFitters and things, but um, is they talk a lot about the macro diet and counting macros. And so mm. I'm curious how the macro diet compares with the paleo. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a way of, it, 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 in part, it seems to me, to be a way of approaching the same thing from a totally different angle. Uh, you know, I approach the whole thing from saying, well, what was the forager food supply typically? What was its, uh, how would you specify, what is its specifications and what is it, what is the end result? Um, the macro people say, well, what you need to do is, as well as count calories, you need to be counting carbohydrates, proteins and fats. And, uh, and, and each person probably has a different profile for these, for these counts. Mm. Uh, well, I don't know about that. You know, to be honest, foragers weren't you know, counting their proteins or fats or anything. Is that what sure. was there? And they weren't doing it according to whether old or young, female, male or female or, or, or whatever. Um, they just ate what was there. Uh, and so I'm a little skeptical on, on, on one level about it. Um, on the other hand, uh, I do talk about, for example, that on average, the hunter-gatherer diet was that people were eating something like 25% by weight of animal matter and 75% by weight of plant food of a particular kind. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that these ratios are nevertheless fairly important, and it just and for them it just that was the way it was. It just worked out that way. Whereas in our present climate, you know, condition where we can go out and buy anything, and our fridges are full of whatever we like, um, you've, you've actually got to watch that you keep those ratios roughly right. Otherwise, it, it does get out of control. Uh, and so there is some sense in which even um, if it's not strictly paleo, um, that by watching the, your ratios of, uh, 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 of proteins to plant food, for example, is, 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 a, is not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the question about well, the question I have is to, well, what about the micronutrients? Because that's a very important aspect, uh, which is, you know, we, we're, most people in the Western world are suffering terrible micronutrient deficiency. And as far as I know, the macronutrient diet doesn't talk particularly about those, mm. although you would tend to get them if you do stick with your, you know, the plant foods that we talk about, the mm -hmm. salads, the vegetables, the fruits, and so forth. Um, uh, so, so long as that's a big part of it. And, and secondly, the kinds of fats is important. Um, and, uh, uh, and again, I don't know that the macro diet particularly looks at that kind of thing. So I would suggest that uh, the macro diet is a halfway stage, perhaps, to where the paleo diet is. It's a, I, I think anybody who starts to actually think about what they're eating and measure it and, and actually calculate you know, what it is they're putting in their mouths actually is a wake-up call too all by itself. Sure. Uh, and that's not a bad thing in itself. Um, but I don't think it's the, uh, it's the end of the road by any means, or at least you've got to fine-tune that macro diet it, it, so that it fits in with what the paleo system really is all about. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess talking about, you know, fine tuning or making decisions about what you put in your mouth. Um, we've talked in both with you and also in previous podcasts about this idea that, I mean, certainly when you, when you cook your own food, um, you have much more control over what you end up eating, obviously. Um, but at least in the Western civilization, it seems like eating out is, um, not so much a luxury as it is almost become a necessity for a lot of people because they're running around like, you know, crazy 
trying to keep up with life and whatever. And so um, we hear a lot, you know, people are needing to, to stop at lunch and grab, you know, their food from a, from a restaurant or whatever. Um, and so it can be tough. This is one of the sort of objections, I guess, that we hear over time. It can be very tough to, quote unquote, stick with it. Um, or be compliant, right, to their eating plan or whatever. And even even you alluded earlier in, in this discussion we were having about, um, you know, fast food restaurants and the and the, prote- mm. the protein choices that they're making. So, you know, that of course would lead me to believe that well, even if you get the the baked chicken sandwich and take the bread off, that perhaps the chicken you're eating is still not really a great choice. And so, I'm just curious if you have um, tips or suggestions. Um, about how to think about eating out, getting food that you know you don't have control over in terms of um, preparation, without straying too far, you know, from your paleo right. choices. Well, I've got I've got two two observations here. Uh, I mean, the first observation is a very general one, and it says, and is this, I say, uh, which is to say, for God's sake, what's happening in our <laughs> world where we're ever more prosperous, and yet we have a, even less time for ourselves, and even less time for something as essential as actually feeding ourselves properly. Sure. Um, uh, you know, no, that's a huge discussion which we're not going to go into. But uh, uh, although it does come under the the the, uh, the topic of uh, stress and brain health, which we might get onto later, yeah. uh, which is uh, that somehow our lives have got out of control, and that's the that's the key word that you've mentioned a couple of times: control. Um, we need to keep control of our food supply as best we can, and um, part of it is not eating out when you can possibly avoid it but take your food with you mm. all right you prepare your lunch snack you in ways that suit you know which is paleo conforming in various kinds of ways and you take it to the office or whatever uh you give it to your kids for their lunch snack and all the rest and hope they don't exchange it for something else <laughs> right. in the playground um sure. Uh, you know, use all this. It's very hard, but uh, so you. So the first thing is yes to take control actually of not eating out as much as you perhaps do from sheer necessity. But secondly, um, take control when you are in a restaurant to take control of the ordering process. Uh, now, as I say, I often spend quite. I spent a bit of time all over America, but uh, spend quite a bit of time in California, where everybody's on a diet of some sort, and um, and the in the restaurants. Uh, all except the most um, expensive ones or the most um, the ones with the most rosettes or Michelin stars right. um, are, are actually very flexible. You, you, think, you just say to them, right, uh, I see on the menu you've got, I don't know, this um, something interesting maybe, perhaps like a buffalo steak, um, mm-hmm. but, but it's served up with rice and, um, I don't know, French fries. And I, I, well, I would like the buffalo steak, but I don't want the French fries or the rice. On the other hand, I see over here you've got some nice green beans and, uh, I don't know, broccoli or something like that, and I'd like to switch them around. So take control, negotiate these things, and, uh, and, and, uh, and try and constitute a meal for yourself that is, broadly speaking, in line with uh, you know with the paleo principles mm-hmm. um now of course you're in the hands of the chef you don't know uh, what sort of oils he's using you don't know you know if you're ordering chicken you've no idea whether it's a pasture fed one or not um or very often you don't mostly sure. you don't um you know so so yeah you're you're always going to be taking ch- ch- the the odds on chance that it's second best whatever you do when you eat in a, in a, when you eat out mm-hmm. unless it's a very specialized restaurant which makes a point of having 
particular, you know, of having these special kinds of foods, which of course 99% of the time you don't have. And the only times I've ever had any problems with negotiating a meal is, in fact, in one of the most Swiss restaurants where they've got one of these uh, top chefs who has his particular dish, you know, it's, it's, and it's all carefully, uh, <laughs> carefully right. thought through with, uh, with artistically arranged on the plate in certain kinds of ways. And they, they, they actually freak out if you try and ask <laughs> Ask them to change something over for them. Right. So, uh, so you know, right? You do the best you can. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's that's eating out in a restaurant, which, in a funny kind of way, is less difficult than than eating out with with some, if somebody's invited you to dinner. And uh, you know, there again, uh, if we find that if you just say to people, "Oh, yeah, I come to dinner," sometimes they know the sort of people you are, and sure. uh, and then they're frightened to invite you to dinner. <laughs> um, uh, but you say to people, "No, it's very simple. You know, I'm just happy with a big salad and a, you know, a, I don't know, a grilled, a, a grilled, grilled fish, grilled salmon, yeah. something like." That. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. Just cook up some vegetables. I'm happy with those, but we prefer not to eat any rice or, or, or French fries. Um, and a lot of the time, people are just happy to go along with that. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be find that particularly challenging. Yeah. I think people who are vegetarians or vegans, they have a much harder time, uh, or at least hosts of dinners have a harder time working out what to give them. Yeah. Uh, whereas actually, when you decided that the, the, the paleo way of going is actually not all that difficult it's uh, to do even for people who are not used to it you just explain to them this is how we prefer it mm -hmm. but on the other hand if you get there and after all they've done something you don't particularly wouldn't normally be eating well damn it it's only one meal you'll be back <laughs> on schedule the next meal and you uh, you know you're polite you uh, you know, you give the compliments to the chef and you eat uh, eat what they put in front of you, you know, and yeah. leave perhaps some of it on the plate because you don't, you know, whatever. It's yeah. something you don't want to be eating. I mean, sometimes I've, it's happened to me. I've people who think they've really done well. I've come to dinner and they've given me sheep's testicles on the plate. And I say, <laughs> well, actually, you know, um, I know this is quite, you know, strictly speaking, this could be paleo, but I don't actually fancy it. Do you mind <laughs> <laughs> compliments so, to the uh, chef <laughs> yeah you know uh, so oh. sometimes you do you know you do get but that's a, you know, these are just very amusing very occasional things that might happen yeah. but mostly we try and say to our friends or people who are likely to divide us for dinner you know we're not complicated actually um just a big salad and a nice uh, grilled salmon we're off you know yeah. we don't need anything else we, we, we're happy with that nice glass of wine and uh, and we're and we're away yeah. and uh, and that's that's good enough yeah no, I love that. And actually, what's funny is when you when you're the one inviting folks over for dinner and you follow the paleo lifestyle, we've had some interesting experiences in reverse and having served a meal, for example, without bread, and yeah, right, and having someone say, um, "Is there so where's the bun for this?" It's like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, we don't we don't do buns at our house. So so we've had to be thoughtful in the other way, right? And say, this is how we right. typically would prepare a meal. And yeah. is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Or will you feel like you haven't had, you know, a sufficient experience if, you know, we don't have a, a bun or a bread or, you know, whatever. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, I think asking, being willing to explain, you know, what what yeah. you like and things is super super important sure oh yeah i think so uh, i i must say we find it much less of a problem inviting people to our to, to yeah. dinner 
because they often just sit down and eat their dinner and don't even realize that it was <laughs> right. related in a particular kind of way. Yeah. It's only after they said, oh, yeah, that's right. There wasn't any bread. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, thinking about bread, I think that's one of the first things in a restaurant is the danger is that the first thing they do when you sit down is they bring a bowl of bread. Yes. Uh, <laughs> bread roll. And uh, you have to say to them, no, take it away, please. I don't want that. I don't yeah. want even want to see it. You right. know, I, um, <laughs> right. Uh, because that's, you know, that's the danger. You see that you're hungry and you start wanting to tuck into it. Sure. So um, and and it's also all part of um, creating a, a change in, uh, in, in attitudes uh, that, that uh, we're trying to encourage the idea that actually putting slapping the bread on the table before or even not, without even being asked about it mm-hmm. is not actually people what waiters should be doing necessarily to be a long long time before they'll be asking you instead of just putting it there automatically but uh, nevertheless uh, we you know it's all got to be part of a, a movement in in the direction of trying to eat, eat in, a, in a more sustainable and healthy way yeah absolutely amy baker dr sean bensinger humarian health podcast spilling our guts for the well-being of yours that's right Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. 